Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and sorry this episode's a bit late. It's been a bit of a hectic time at the moment, but I've got two stories for you. So today, I hope you're ready for some spiritual healing and an assassination attempt. As today, I'm going to be telling you about psychic surgery and one of seven assassination attempts on King Louis-Philippe I. And I don't know how to pronounce French, so I'm just going to kind of roll with it. Hope for the best. We'll see how it goes. And like I said, sorry it's been late. It's been a really hectic few weeks with me finishing uni, moving, and then coming back home for a couple weeks to help that out a bit. I mean, I know I keep saying it, but hopefully it should level out soon. But we'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully it won't be too much. And if you've been following my social media, you may have noticed that I've announced a couple guests like over the last couple months, and I should be interviewing two of them this month. So keep an eye out for some very interesting people coming your way. At the end, as towards the end of the month, I'll be joined for recording by the horror director, James Cullen Bresick, and the author, Bob Van Leerhoven. But that's for the future, and today we're going to get straight into it. Let's jump into psychic surgery. We're going to cut the music and be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. So, let's talk about psychic surgery. Just a quick overview. It has also been known as fourth dimensional surgery. And it's generally recognized as pseudoscience and a, a kind of medical fraud. But it also seems to have deep roots within the spiritual communities of, of the Philippines and Brazil. So, let's jump in. Psychic surgery can vary from, region, from place to place and the person, and even the person doing it. And they can follow some pretty common lines. Like a typical, your typical procedure will involve the practitioner pressing the tips of their fingers against the patient's skin around the ailing area before their hands appear to penetrate the patient's body without any surgical instrument used. And despite lack of pain, blood does seem to flow. The practitioner then shows some kind of organic matter or foreign object which has been removed from the patient's body before cleaning the area and ending it without leaving any wounds or scars to be seen. Now, most cases don't actually seem to involve actual surgery, though some practitioners might make real, like, real cuts. And it's pretty easy to see where this kind to see where this kind of thing comes from, like, especially as it as the Philippines and Brazil are places where, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about modern day, but the places where belief in evil spirits is pretty common, and it's quite common for practitioners to claim that the foreign objects were placed in a patient's body by evil spirits. 
Now, accounts of psychic surgery tend to appear around the mid-1900s. It started really being noticed by the Western world in the 1940s. Though Brazilian psychic surgery does tend to have some differences as the psychic surgeons or or spiritual healers may use knives, scissors, etc. to operate, while Filipino surgeons will only use their bare hands. Now, we'll go to the Philippines first. As in the Philippines, as this kind of procedure started coming into view in the 1940s, as there was a psychic surgeon called Eloturio Terte who would routinely perform this. And along with his pupil Tony Agpoa, who was associated with the Union Espiritista Cristiana de Filipinas, or the Christian Spiritist Union of the Philippines, uh, would train others in the procedure as well. Though from reading around it, it's like yeah, this um, had a older, had a fair bit older of a history than this, as um, as according to Elora Turt, Turt, Turte, let's go with Turt, T E R T E, um, would claim that it had been practiced as early as 1898 before the Americans colonized the islands. And before his death, he also, he even said that his grandmother was a psychic surgeon too. The older manuscripts show similar procedures hundreds of years earlier. So in 1959, this um, psychic surgery came to the attention of the US public after reporters Ron Ormond and Ormond McGill wrote and published a book, Into the Strange Unknown, which are the first modern Western references to psychic surgery, with Ron Ormond using the term fourth dimensional operations to describe the work of Turt. Describing the procedure as follows. A patient suffering from what had been diagnosed as a gallstone lay on the table, abdomen bared. Turt's thumb and forefinger of his right hand sunk out of sight into the flesh. As his fingers disappeared within the man, the choir commenced their singing, stopping only when the healer's hands emerged with the gallstone, which dropped into a waiting jar of alcohol. In each operation, there was seemingly no pain, no bleeding, no wound of any kind, after which they interviewed patients who told him that God had performed the miracle using the man Turt as his instrument. And Turt commented, I can do nothing unless the power of the spirit protector is within me. Allegedly, one of the writers who had a cyst on his elbow himself was treated by Turt. And in conclusion, Ron Orman summarised, I and McGill still don't know what to think, but we have motion pictures to show it wasn't the work of any normal magician and could very well be just what this Filipino said it was. A miracle of God performed by a fourth-dimensional surgeon. Now it's worth noting that the procedure is pretty much a religious or folk practice, and the term psychic surgery was coined by the writer Harold Sherman, who essentially inferred that the practice, though derived from religious practices, were was equivalent in some way to surgery of Western medicine. Now the most well-known, now the most well-known Filipino healer to kind of show up between the 60s and the 80s was Antonio Tony Agpoa of Baguio City, and from Rosales, who practiced in Baguio City. Now, Tony was established. He had an organization made up of doctors, nurses, and even had a lawyer too. Working in Manila, it was believed that Tony could remove tissue from the body of patients without making any incisions, though magicians and skeptics were convinced that it was the result of conjuring tricks. And in 1968, he was arrested and charged for fraud in the United States for pretending to mend a bone in a patient's neck. And the American surgeon William A. Nolan uh, wrote that, according to the Amer- American Medical Association, he had separated hundreds of patients from their life sa- savings and had cured no one. And magician James Randi, who will talk about his views a bit more later, 
uh, also noted that he had his own appendix removed from a hospital in San Francisco instead of visiting his psychic surgeon himself. Though, despite this, it was common for groups of Westerners to travel to his healing centre on Muradil Hill on a near-daily basis. And this made him a lot of money. Like, to the point, like, he was featured in international publications, films, and magazines too. Though, following a massive stroke, he died in 1982 and was buried in Baguio City, where he practised. Now, one of the more interesting things I noticed when I was reading out about this is that is that these Christian spiritists who formed the healing would treat patients completely without charge, and those who accepted money from patients, especially foreigners, either left the institution or were expelled from it. Though usually this just resulted in them establishing their own spiritual group and practicing themselves. Like pretty much all the spiritual healers in the country, from what I can tell. Um, had the training in the Christian Spiritist Church, with parts of the training being healing, automatic writing, speaking in tongues, going to a trance, and other forms of mediumship. And on top of this, according to them, you wouldn't be able to become a psychic surgeon by choice, as it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit would choose who the gift could be given to. And it would take between 5 to 10 years of, att of attending Spiritist services before anyone would receive the gift of psychic surgery. Now, Psychic surgery once again made US tabloid headlines in March 1984 when the entertainer Andy Kaufman, who was a just general entertainer, actor, writer, performance artist, comedian, he was tied to pro wrestling, notably having a feud with Jerry the King Lawler, um, he would fall ill and, and at Thanksgiving dinner on Long Island in November 1983, uh, many of his family members would openly express worry about his persistent coughing. To which he claimed that he'd been coughing for nearly a month and after visiting his doctor had been told nothing was wrong. So after re returning to Los Angeles, he consulted another physician and checked himself into the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center for a series of medical tests. A few days later, he would be diagnosed with large cell carcinoma, which is a highly rare type of lung cancer. Yeah. After audience would react to his much more gaunt appearance uh, in, in his January 1984 performances, he'd... Uh, he acknowledged that he had an unspecified illness uh, that he hoped to cure with natural medicine, including a diet of all fruits and vegetables, along with other measures. He received palliative radiotherapy, but at this point, the cancer had spread from his lungs to his brain, and his final public appearance would be at the premiere of My Breakfast with Lassie in March 1984, where he sh appeared thin and had a partially shaved head. The following day, he and Lynn Margulis, um flew to Bago, Philippines, where he, as a last resort, where he received treatments of psychic surgery by practitioner Jun Labo and received a six-week course. Now Jun Labo claimed to have removed large cancerous tumours and was convincing enough that Kaufman believed that his cancer had been removed, though the celebrations would be short-lived as he would die of renal failure as a consequence of metastatic lung cancer on, on May the 16th, 1984, at the age of 35, at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Now, we're going to move to Brazil, where the origins of the practice are kind of obscure, but though by the late 1950s, spiritual healers were practicing the procedure in the country, with many of them associated with spiritism, which was a major spiritualistic movement in Brazil, and they would claim that they would be performing the operations as channels for spirits of deceased medical doctors. And though it's, from reading about it, it seems that it 
at least partially tied to African slaves, brought over during times of colonialism and the religions that they brought with them. Now, the Brazilian spiritists would work differently and be and would be more likely to use instruments. Now, Brazilian spiritists would tend to induce trance-like states by dancing energetically to the sound of drums and percussion instruments, while Filipino spiritists would uh, induce the trance-like state through prayers, soft chanting, and reading passages from the Bible. And Brazilian spiritists, including women, would often smoke cigars while in while in a trance, while Filipino spiritists wouldn't do this. One of the known practitioners of psychic surgery in Brazil was called Zé Arago, who claimed to be channeling for a deceased doc- medical doctor called Dr. Fritz, and he would make use of a non-surgical blade to make incisions and perform the procedure. Interestingly enough, he wasn't the only psychic healer who claimed to channel for Dr. Fritz, and Edson, Carriers, and Rubens Farias Jr. Uh, would also claim to channel for Dr. Fritz. And it's not just a um, historical thing. It's, it still occurs today, with um, one of the popular doctors nowadays being Jao de Faria, who is also known as Jao de Deus, who operates in Abadiana in the state of Goias. And oh boy, I'm pretty sure none of these things are pronounced right. But he runs the Casa Dom Inacio de Loyola, which is a spiritual healing centre and often prescribes meditation and walks to a nearby waterfall as part of a treatment. Um, He also sells herbs, blessed items, and artifacts such as magic triangles. And in the show 60 Minutes Australia um, in 2004, it it was estimated that these sales earn Faria over $10 million per year. And when called for spiritual surgery, patients are offered the choice of visible or invisible operations. And if 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 they choose an invisible operation or are either younger than 18 or older than 52, they are directed to sit in a room and meditate. He also claims that spiritual physicians can perform surgery on the actual patient via a surrogate when the actual patient is unable to make a trip. A small percentage of people choose a visible operation where where he operates without any traditional anaesthetic, um, instead using what he calls energised mineral water and the spiritual energies present the latter of which are provided by groups of volunteers who meditate in a separate room called the current room, and these practices involve things such as inserting scissors or forceps deep into the nose and scraping an eye without anaesthetic or antiseptics, which needless to say have been scrutinised by medical authorities, though he maintains that people should not stop taking their medicine and that not everyone that he serves will be cured. Often the treatment includes capsules containing pure passion flower, that he says carries special blessed spiritual energy to support the individual's healing process. Unlike a lot of um, other practices, he's been arrested several times for practicing medicine without a license, and has also been jailed once. And according to descriptions of Yoshiaki Yomura, who is the president and founder of the International College of Acupuncture and Electrotherapeutics, the president and founder of the International Bi-Digital O-Ring Test Medical Association and medical research director of the Heart Disease Research Foundation, which, worth noting, the uh, Bi-Digital O-Ring Test has also been cited many times as a noteworthy example of a term that I love because it's just fun to say. <laughs> Pseudoscientific quackery. Equal attention to the um, difference between Brazilian and Filipino 
techniques as Brazilian practitioners use techniques which resemble Qigong, Shiatsu massage, and chiropractic manipulation. Additionally, some patients are also injected with a brown liquid and alleged minor surgery was performed in about 20% of the cases observed. And while Se Arago, who we mentioned earlier, performed his procedures using kitchen knives in improvised settings, Omar reports that the clamping of blood vessels and closing of surgical wounds are now performed by licensed surgeons or licensed nurses. We're going to move on a bit more to North America, actually. As in the 1970s, there was a specific form of psychic surgery, which which popped up for a bit, uh, which is known as psychic dentistry, with with Willard Fuller being the most well-known practitioner. And it was alleged that he could cause dental fillings to appear spontaneously, change silver into golden fillings, and straighten crooked teeth or produce new teeth entirely. Though skeptics generally found that these claims are unsupported by solid evidence. And one dentist examined some some of his patients um, and found some shady shit. As in one case, the miraculous gold fillings just turned out to be tobacco stains. And in another case, a female patient who reported a miraculous new silver filling admitted that she forgot that the filling was already there. (laughs) Um, Like you probably noticed a few times, there's been a fair bit of criticism, uh, both medical and legal. And in 1975, the Federal Trade Commission declared that psychic surgery is nothing but a total hoax, and Judge Daniel H. Hanscom, when granting the FTC an injunction against travel agencies promoting psychic surgery tours, declared that psychic surgery is pure and unmitigated fakery. The surgical operations of psychic surgeons with their bare hands are simply phony. And the FTC stated that it has been found that psychic surgery is pure fakery. The body is not opened, no surgery is performed with bare hands or with anything else, and nothing is removed from the body. The entire operation is an egregious fraud perpetrated with, by sleight of hand and similar tricks and devices. In 1990, the American Cancer Society stated that it found no evidence that psychic surgery results in objective benefit in treatment of any medical condition, and strongly urged individuals who are not ill not to seek treatment by psychic surgery. Um, the British Columbia Cancer Agency also strongly urges individuals who are not ill not to seek treatment by psychic surgeons, and so on. Like, it's, like, psychic surgery is not generally seen as directly hazardous to the patient, and, and by a placebo effect, some patients may even find themselves feeling better. But it can have considerable risks, as people with diagnosed medical conditions may either delay or just not go for normal medical help, which can lead to fatal consequences, as we found earlier. There have been a f- quite a few people who have ac- accused them of fraud, particularly magicians. Um, as stage magician James Randi, who I believe mentioned earlier, said that uh, called psychic surgery a sleight-of-hand confidence trick, saying that in personal observations of the procedure and in movies showing the procedures, he can spot sleight-of-hand moves that are evident to experienced stage magicians, but can deceive a casual observer. And he also replicated the appearance of psychic surgery himself through slate of hand. Basically, Randy would say that the healer would, would slightly roll or pinch the skin over the area to be treated, and when his flattened hand reached under the roll of the skin, it would look and feel as if the practitioner is entering the patient's body. And the healer would have prepared in advance either small pellets or bags of animal entrails, which would be palmed in his hand or hidden beneath the table within, each, within easy reach, which would simulate diseased tissue that the healer would claim to be removing. And if he wanted to stimulate bleeding, 
as you mentioned, a cat like blood flow showing fit before. A couple ways he he might do it be by squeezing a bladder of animal blood or an impregnated sponge. And the illusionist Chris Angel also performed psychosurgery, showing firsthand how it can be done using fake blood, plastic bags, and chicken livers. On the show Mind Freak, um, the science writer Terence Hines wrote that. The operation starts as the hand appears to enter the patient's belly. This is accomplished by creating an impression in the belly by pushing down and flexing the fingers slowly into a fist. The fingers thus appear to be moving into the belly, but are really simply had it hidden behind the hand. The blood that further disguises the true movement of the ha- of the fingers and adds drama to the proceedings can come from two sources. One is a fake thumb worn over the real thumb and filled with a red liquid. Such fake thumb is a common magician's implement. Blood can also be passed to the surgeon in red balloons hidden in cotton that the psychic surgeon is using, the cotton and its hidden contents being passed to him by an assistant. The bits of tumour can also be passed to the psychic surgeon this way or hidden within the false thumb. The tumour material turns out to be chicken intestines or, sim- or similar animal remains. The blood is either animal blood or red dye. Two psychic surgeons have also provided a testimony in a Federal Trade Commission trial that, to their knowledge, the organic matter supposedly removed from patients is usually t- animal tissue or cluttered blood. Yeah, it was it was in 1986 where the arrests and prosecutions of psychic surgeons kind of began occurring in force, with Gary and Terry Magno being arrested in Phoenix, Arizona, and being charged with the fraudulent practice of medicine, before posting bail and immediately fleeing back to the Philippines. In 1987, jo- Jose Bugarin was was arrested in Sacramento, California, for cancer quackery and illegal practice of medicine, uh, being sentenced to nine months in prison. In 1989, Placido Palatine was arrested and persecuted in Oregon for the illegal practice of medicine. And in 1991, uh, immigration officials arrested Terry Magno in the Philippines, deporting her back to the US to stand trial, where she faced 17 counts of fraud, with one count of conspiracy in connection with the 1986 charges of practicing psychic surgery in Arizona. But yeah, I, that's pretty much all I've got for the, for psychic surgery, but oh boy, that's uh, it's definitely an interesting one. I, I'm very happy to just, like, I'm very happy to just call it straight up fraud, like, despite its spiritual connections and origins. And yeah, it's it just seems like a way to the tricks sick people into either a belief or to giving money to the practitioner. But yeah. Anyway, we'll cut the music and come back with an assassination attempt. Hope you're excited. We are back. So, we're going to be talking about a guy called Giuseppe Marco Fieschi. But for, but for that, we need a bit of background. So, at the time, the king of the French was Louis-Philippe I, born in the, who was king between 1830 and 1848 as leader of the Orleanist party. And as a member of the cadet branch of the Royal House of France and, a, and being a cousin of King Louis XVI of France, and descent from common ancestors Louis the Thirteenth and Fourteenth to flee France during the French Revolution for reasons such as not wanting to be imprisoned and executed. Pretty solid reasons. A fate that met his father Louis Philippe the Second, the Duke of Orleans, and to spend twenty-one years in exile after leaving France in seventeen ninety-three. 
shortly after his return, he would be proclaimed king in 1930, after his cousin Charles X was forced to abdicate in the wake of the July Revolution of that year. And his government was known as the July Monarchy, and was mainly made up of members of a wealthy French elite and former Napoleonic officials. You'd think they would have learned after after the French Revolution that people didn't like that so much. And there are a lot of conspirators about. Yeah, but despite this, he managed to, main- yeah, he managed to maintain his throne until um, his popularity faded out during 1847, as economic conditions in France weren't so great, and he had to abdicate after the French Revolution of 1848, before living out his life in exile in the UK. Now, it seems like a kind of slow ending to ending to it, but during his reign, he survived seven assassination attempts. And I'm going to tell you about one of the most interesting ones. So, Giuseppe Marco Fieschi. Fieschi was born on the 13th December 1790 in Bocognano, which is a commune on the island of Corsica, to his parents Louis and Marie Lucy of Monti. He had two brothers, Thomas and Anthony, and the Napoleonic Wars are going on around this time, with Anthony being mute from birth. And he spent his childhood and adolescence as a shepherd until 1808, where he joined a Corsican regiment and was sent to Naples and then Russia to fight in the Napoleonic Wars. And around this time, uh, his brother Thomas would be killed in the Battle of Ragram in 1809. By the time 1812 came along, he held the rank of sergeant, holding it until he was discharged from the army in 1814, and he returned to Corsica. By the time September 1815 came around, he was about he was one of uh, about a thousand followers who joined the former king of Naples, Joachim Murat, in an attempt to regain the kingdom. Ended about a month later with Murat's capture and execution by the forces of Ferdinand IV of Naples. He escaped execution and was deported to France, where he was sentenced in 1816 to ten years in jail for the theft of Estia. And while in prison, he fell in love with a female inmate called Laurence Petit, and when he was released in 1826, he moved to Lyon, which was Petit's hometown. Around this time, the July Revolution uh, occurs, and Fieschi moves to Paris, calling himself a political prisoner, which was essentially a ploy which allowed him to move unchallenged. And he obtained a small post in Paris by means of forged papers, though he eventually lost his job and pensions that he that he fortunately obtained from the government. And while in Paris, he also maintained a lifelong affair with his stepdaughter Nina, which led to the breakup of his relationship with his mother Lawrence. But this is where it gets interesting, as in 1831, Fieschi met his to-be co-conspirator, Pierre Moret, who was a neighbour at the time. He was, an, he was a 61-year-old saddler who had been involved with Republican politics, and had been arrested but released in 1816, after falling under suspicion of plotting the assassination of the Bourbons. And he was later tried and acquitted of the murder of an Austrian soldier. In 1830, he took part in the July Revolution that put King Louis-Philippe into power in the first place as, as well. But he became disillusioned with the king, and along with Fieschi, they made a plan to build a infernal machine. The infernal machine was a volley gun, and I'm not an advocate of guns, but I like the aesthetic sometimes. And volley guns are my aesthetic. Because essentially they are... Because essentially they they accomplish that same thing as a cannon firing grape shot or canister shot. Which base, which, ha, which fires multiple balls. And like a cannon, they could, be hard, they could be hard to move and aim. But they would also take much longer to reload as 
essentially what a volley gun is is a gun with several barrels uh, for firing multiple shots either in succession or simultaneously and they'd been around since like the 15th century with the ribaldequin uh, which was also known as the as an organ gun as the multiple barrels resembled a pipe organ now back to the infernal machine this volley gun was a set, had 25 gun barrels set up next to each other that could be fired simultaneously. Mur- and Murray took the plan to Theodore Pepin, who was the chief of the Society of the Rights of Man, section room. And after a meeting, they decided to build a weapon, splitting the cost of 500 francs between Pepin and Murray, with the flat-out broke Fieschi building, building it and being paid for it. And after a while, the volley gun was completed and ready to be used. And the gun was built in the place it was intended to be used, within a four-room apartment on the third floor of of number fifty Boulevard du Temple. And this was picked as it was the as it was on the expected route that the king and his entourage would take during his annual review of the Paris National Guard, which commemorated the nineteen thirty July Revolution and would take place on the twenty eighth of July eighteen thirty five. Now, around noon, Louis Philippe was passing along the Boulevard du Temple which connected the place of the Republic to the Bastille, and was accompanied by three of his sons, the Duke of Orleans, the Duke of Nemours, and the Prince de Joinville, along with a large number of staff and senior officers. Now, as this was going on, Fieschi was waiting for them in his apartment, along with his infernal machine, fought with 24 barrels of his gun, loaded with 8 bullets and 15 to 20 buckshot. And when, when the royal party passed below, he fired the gun, and despite not all barrels firing, the gun produced a volley of about 400 projectiles, leading to 18 people being killed, including Lieutenant Colonel Rusek and eight officers of the 8th Legion, Marshal Mortier, Colonel Raffet, General Girard, Captain Villate, and General Lachasse Verigny, and a further 22 people were injured. The king was injured, but the wound was minor, with a bullet or buckshot grazing his forehead and his horse being killed. But despite this, he continued with the day's event and reviewed the National Guard as planned. And when fired, four of the gun's 25 barrels burst, and four didn't fire, with another one not loaded as it lacked a touch hole, which is the part where the combustion of of a powder charge occurs. And when the gun barrels burst, uh, Fieschi himself was wounded, receiving severe head and facial wounds, with two of his fingers having to be amputated, and he was quickly captured. So, needless to say, his trial was pretty big at the time, and Fieschi enjoyed his time in the spotlight. During his trial, he named his accomplices, like showed a lot of bravery, etc., and seemed to expect a ultimate pardon, being represented by the Corsican lawyer Mar- Francois-Marie Paterni and the Parisian lawyers Parkin and, Ch- and Chase d'Ange. Though despite this, he would be condemned to death and guillotined on the 19th of February, 1836 along with Pierre Murray and Theodore Pepin. Pepin died first, and then Murray, with Fieschi being the last, using his last minutes for a speech. And before his death, he al- he'd also made several confessions about revolutionary groups, which led to more arrests and trials. And his head was given to a doctor at Bicetter Hospital for study purposes. There were another two accomplices that were tried, with one being sentenced to 20 years in prison and one being acquitted. And within the year, no fewer than seven plots against the life of Louis Philippe had been discovered by police. And 14 victims of Fieschi's attack are still interred within the vaults of, of Les Invalides, which is 
usually a place of internment for French military leaders that that nation wishes to honour. A post-mortem examination of Fieschi's brain was carried out by the Louis-Pierre Gratiolet and Francois Luret, who were anatomists, uh, in order to determine whether it exhibited features that might explain his behaviour, which I assume means that they were looking for things like venereal disease or etc. And his death mask is displayed in England at Norwich Castle, with the mask showing evidence of the, of the facial and head injuries that he received when the barrels of the gun exploded. And his machine in Fernal is preserved at the Museum of French History today. And on that, I think we're done. So let's cut the music and be back with an outro. And we are back. So... Just to finish up, I really hope you enjoyed that, and um, sorry, it might be a bit all over the place. Um, my life has been a bit all over the place recently. <laughs> um, but it's starting to level out now, hopefully, he says every time. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully I should have things back on track soon enough. And yeah, some pl- I'm going to plug the Murderly Network, so that's murder.ly, and you can, and you can look up that site and... Uh, find a bunch of other really cool podcasts gonna give a shout out to pretend radio as i was talking to javier earlier and he's awesome so and you should definitely go check out his show because it's one of my favorites and just to finish it up we have social media at facebook.com slash blood and rocks twitter and instagram at the bloody rocks uh email at botlpodcast at gmail.com a discord server that you can come chat to us on you can you can unload your ideas about episodes etc uh, and I'll post a link to that in the description for the episode. And I occasionally post on the social media stuff as well, so you can probably find it on Facebook and Twitter if you look hard enough. We, uh, You can also check out our Patreon. And if you want to support the show, you can do it for as little as $1 a month on there. And $1 a month also means you get ad-free episodes. And you, there's a bunch of other rewards on there, which, uh, which you can go look up. And that's at patreon.com slash rocks. And before we close up, we also have another two reviews. Now, the first one being by Dumb and Busted Podcast, who gave me a five-star review, um, titled LOVE in all caps, and I love your enthusiasm, um, which reads, Actually, there's such an incredible job of keeping it creepy but fun. This is exactly what you want out of a true crime podcast. Traffic just got a lot less boring. Keep up the great work, Dumb and Busted Podcast. And another one by Bigfoot Tony, which is also a five-star, saying, Nice voice, and... Good content with good in all caps, and I like your enthusiasm too. So, thank you both for the reviews, it means a lot to me. And on that, I think we can finish up. So, thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends, and have a great week. I'll see you soon. <laughs>